have 50 single women. This is Dania. Her ex was whitewater rafting and fell out of his raft, so she jumped in and saved him. Right here we have 50 single guys. This is Eric. He liked a girl so much that he climbed up on a fountain and serenaded her. She pushed him in. That's right, and I've got 98 other romantic devils ready to take the plunge on MTV's Singled Out. Thank you so much, Tammy. Welcome to this niche podcast about the one thing that I know something about, which is game shows, I suppose. I am your host, Jordan Haas. We have a fantastic show for you today. Why else am I wearing preppy shirts from The Gap and Bugle Boy jeans if it wasn't for the fact we're talking about the MTV 90s dating show Singled Out? co-hosted by Jenny McCarthy or Carmen Electra and hosted by Chris Hardwick. But instead of getting any of those people today, we got Leslie Lee III from Struggle Session stopping by. It's going to be a lot of fun, folks. It's going to be great. I, I'm, I, I mean, I hope so. I mean, it's kind of the podcast I do every week. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get to talking about Singled Out today, we got to do the news. So first off... Uh, more personal news. Uh, so we've been covering the Crystal Maze America for a while now. Uh, yay, Crystal Maze! You know, one of my favorite shows. And I, I mean, understandably shit so. And we've been talking about just the be careful what you wish for Jordan aspect of this show. Because you say something like card sharks should return. And sure enough, Jordan for card sharks becomes card sharks hosted by Joel McHale. Then you say, uh, hey, there should be Supermarket Sweep. And so Jordan for Supermarket Sweep, Leslie Jones uh, has the show. And that's fine. Then I was thinking, okay, what, what's the craziest would never happen? Crystal Maze. And Crystal Maze uh, gets the U.S. pickup for Nickelodeon. And it's like, okay, there you go. Jordan for Maze Master, that would be fun. And it would be great. And... When I was guessing who was going to be the Maze Master, I thought it was going to be Richard Iowati, uh, because he's already there in the UK. They're filming in the UK. He's already quirking enough. He would do it. And I, I have to say this, I was wrong. Folks, I'm wrong. I was wrong with my prediction. One of the rare opportunities that I can say I was wrong. So, folks, you can just you know, clip that part where I said I was wrong, and you can use it anytime I say something incorrect. Um... It's uh, instead going to be given to Adam Conover, host of Adam Ruins Everything on True TV, uh, from some college humor shorts on YouTube, and uh, he lands a few roles on BoJack Horseman as a Ryan Seacrest type. So I guess they did get Ryan Seacrest type after all for the Crystal Maze, now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, so uh, they filmed a few episodes of Crystal Maze with Adam Conover. Uh, it's essentially what it's going to be is a family version of the Crystal Maze UK. So it's going to be family and kids playing some of the games. Uh, so according to, uh, which is nickalive.blogspot.com, I don't know how accurate this is, but apparently this is from C21 as well, so it could be. Uh, okay, so the Nickelodeon game, sh- Nickelodeon's bringing legendary hit game show U.S. Crystal Maze. 
TS, an all-new version, host, uh, co-produced by Benham Murray Productions, Real World Challenge, Born This Way, and RDF Television under the Bonnet Group. A longtime stable British pop culture family entertainment, Chris Mays, considered the forerunner of current escape room craze as a competitive challenge featuring a family team. He must utilize physical and mental skills, successfully navigate a labyrinth of four giant and immersive theme zones. Guiding teams through each challenge and adventure around the Crystal Maze, we maze master Adam Conover, a comic fame for his work on college humor, TV series I'm Ruins Everything, and Netflix's BoJack Horseman. Production of the new series, 10-hour-long episodes, took place in the show's original set located in the Bottle Yard Studios in Bristol, England, earlier this summer. The series premiere will be announced at a later date. Uh, I can scroll on into this uh, next section here. The... Uh, the first change is the makeup of the team. So it's now family units of five comprising of parents and kids. Channel 4 show involved groups of friends, but originally featured strangers. The decision we made, brought the show back was stronger when a team of six people who know each other. What's wonderful when you turn into parents playing with their kids is the parents always want the kids to do well and cheer them on no matter what. Whereas the children are embarrassed, disgusted, and appalled by their parents not performing well and start berating them and blaming them. Uh, the big difference is the kids get a bit more time inside each of these games. Well, okay, I can understand, like, maybe, like, physical games, for instance. Uh, the second main ish, uh, issue of Ruben Crystal Maze, other than the set, is to host it. Uh, so, Richard Iwadi hosts the UK version, uh, but finding the right person to guide families, including young children through the experience, was always going to be tough. Nickelodeon went to Am Conover, famed for his work on College Humor and TV series Amber Ruins Everything. You're at Maze Master. You're not a game show host. It's a mad and eccentric role, says Simpson. Adam's take has been like Willy Wonka in his chocolate factory. It's his maze. He's created all the games, and he's thrilled somebody has come to play with them for the day. Like Willy Wonka, there's also a mischievous side to him, a bit of an edge. Sometimes the kids lose. Sometimes they get locked in. The, not, the notes were flagging Nick early on. Is you have to get... Not have a, cue, a host on auto cue. It has to be somebody who has funny bones, a sharp mind will act to what unfolds in front of him. There are lots of gags we can script, but the best way to attack the show is exploit the story of the team and play off the characters and their successes and failures as they go. Okay, well, I'm on board there. That that sounds about right, because it's not a game show host role. It's a, it's an interesting uh, comedy show that has like a, it's kind of supposed to be like an adventure series. So it's supposed to be like a D&D thing. But I'm still trying to, I mean, I can imagine Adam because he has like the hair, he has the weird suit. So they're trying to go for that eccentric behavior. I'm just trying to imagine him in his like, um, actually kind of voice in like the crystal maze. Like, okay, mom, we're in the Aztec zone. Well, okay, we're actually, we're not in the Aztec zone. We are in the United Kingdom. In fact, did you know that, uh, Plastic has not actually been invented in the early 14th century. So if we were to be really specific with how timers would work, we would have used clay pots instead. Anyway, this is a physical game. Who's going to play it? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it might be fun, but at the same time, uh, I guess I'll never host a game show. and I just got to come to terms with that. I feel like, I feel defeated I feel like the the closest is this game show podcast, but you know, I'll be fine, I guess. I guess I'll be fine. I'll just um I guess I'll just cry for for a bit before we read more news. Um all right. Next piece of news here. Uh American Ninja Warrior aired on Monday. Uh and Drew Tretchell uh is the second person to be American Ninja Warrior. 
and won one million dollars. So the very tough of obstacle course game show finally had a winner and just like the last time there was a head-to-head contest to win it which i still think is kind of messed up because uh that means that whoever got in second place doesn't get anything but then again they failed to do stage four so i don't really feel so bad uh in terms of a timer but uh it's okay um so congratulations to the redretchel million dollar winner of american ninja warrior see folks that show can be done uh, so I can't wait for more, uh, bullshit, uh, twists and turns for next season, which should amount to just games of upper body or lower body strength where the object is to not fall in the water. Next, Bake Off maker Love Productions moves pottery format to Channel 4 after it was canceled by the BBC. Uh, the Great Pottery Throwdown. Uh, is coming to uh, Channel 4 after it got canceled by BBC last year. Channel 4 spokesperson said Great Pottery Throwdown will broadcast next year on its main channel and more for. Casting's underway for next series. Great Pottery Throwdown previously broadcast for two seasons on BBC2, uh, hosted by Sarah Cox and Bill Lowe Audience. Great Pottery Throwdown is like Great British Bake Off, but it's pottery amateurs instead of bakers. Well, I mean, they're still baking. They both involve ovens, but different types of ovens. More kilns in this case. Uh, along the way, they make things like fine bone china tea sets and chandeliers from a set of Stroke on Trent, which is famous for its pottery industry. So, uh, be on the lookout of seeing that, I guess, on, on Netflix, folks. Because if it's going to Channel 4, it most likely will be on Netflix. So, heads up, folks. I'm telling you right off the bat. If Netflix is doing the new season of Great British Bake Off in parallel to this one, no doubt they're going to do this with Great Pottery Show. Next, uh, hey, RuPaul tied Jeff Probst for most Emmy wins as a reality host. Uh, the, creative Emmy, uh, the Creative Arts Emmys were, of course, on Saturday. Of course, of course it was. Remember, I, I talked about it and then kind of fizzled out because I didn't get nominated, obviously. So, uh, RuPaul won. Uh, against Jane Lynch from Hollywood Game Night. Oh, wait. In between them, Jane Lynch has won twice. Tom Bergeron once. Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn once. RuPaul beat out Ellen DeGeneres, Amy Poehler, Nick Offerman, Maria Kondo, and James Corden on Sunday's gala. So congratulations to RuPaul of RuPaul's Drag Race. Technically, you host a game show of, of the best drag queen. And how do we determine what's the best drag queen? The best lip sync artist to impress Alex Trebek. Uh, speaking of Alex Trebek, uh, unfortunate news. Uh, we got some, some news that while he was in admission at the start of the tape tapings of Jeopardy, uh, he is undergoing chemotherapy again after his numbers went sky high. This is according to Good Morning America. I was doing so well, and my numbers went down to the equivalent of a normal human being who does not have pancreatic cancer, so we were all very optimistic, and they said, good, we're going to stop chemo. We'll start you on immunotherapy. I lost about 12 pounds in a week, and my numbers went sky high, much higher than they were when I was first diagnosed. So the doctors have decided they have to undergo chemo again, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, He's undergoing excruciating pain and fatigue. Uh, So hang in there, Alex. We love you. Um, he did finish his first round of therapy and went to film season 35 of Jeopardy. Uh, that's, that's a major bummer. Um, well, keep, keep hanging in there, Alex. We, we enjoy, uh, everything that you're bringing. 
You're one of the iconic game show hosts of our generation. As I've said before, Jeopardy is the is basically the ambassador of game shows to everyone else. Even if you don't like game shows, even if you don't really watch game shows, even if you say you hate game shows, some people at least, like, they seem to love Jeopardy. And I don't think it's so much the clues and the trivia questions as much as it's also Alex Trebek and that delivery. Uh, it, it's going to be tough to replicate. I don't want it to replicate. So let's just hope that uh, that Alex just keeps fighting back on this one. Um, so hang in there, Alex. Next, uh, oh, pilot. Okay, ITV pilot hosted by Larry, uh, Gary Lineker of Match of the Day. Oh, I've, I've seen Match of the Day on BBC. This, this might actually be kind of clever, actually, of a show. Let's see here. ITV Studios owns five gold rings and catch point possess. Okay, so this might be a good format. Format sees six contestants answering tough questions while sat in different positions in different chairs. Only those who answer correctly and are in the right place at the right time will win the cash. Interesting. I, I kind of think that might be fun. Uh, Lineker is a uh, previously hosted charity, appeared on uh, Who Wants to Be a Million in 2008 and Mr. and Mrs. in 2012. You know, this might actually be an interesting format. I will have to look into this. A pilot's being filmed later this month in Manchester. So so I, I, I want to see how this format works because this feels like a, like a part luck-based, part trivia-based show, and I'm always loving luck-based, trivia-based shows. So I, I'm on board with this. Plus... I think Gary is a good is actually a pretty good uh, host, so so something about this actually feels like this might actually be somewhat more interesting than than, than they're actually letting out to be. So be on the lookout to this pilot. If it gets picked up, hooray! I can explain more about this probably next year. Otherwise, uh, it'll fizzle out, and I'll be like, whatever happened to that one show I talked about? Uh, next. Paramount Network gets physical with Battle of the Fittest Couples starting Tuesday, October 15th at 11 p.m. Eastern Time Pacific. Okay, new competition series puts bodies and relationships to the ultimate test, hosted by JoJo Fletcher and Jordan Rogers. This fall... (coughs) Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm I'm sorry, I'm gagging because I heard the term swolemates. Swolmates. This fall, Swolmates. As in S W O L E mates. Swolmates. Jesus fucking Christ. Swolmates. I guess that's one way to flavor your show instead of just calling them contestants. <sighs> Shit. Uh, this, this fall, Swolmates. Bring the heat to Paramount Network when the all-new competition series Battle of the Fittest Couples premieres Tuesday, October 15th at 11 p.m. Eastern Pacific. Battle of the Fittest Couples takes ripped couples and puts them through an intense competition to only test them on their physical and mental toughness, but how they work together as a team. Hosted by a real-life couple, former Bachelorette JoJo Fletcher, which will remind you of a better game show and in a former NFL quarterback Jordan Rogers these two are no strangers to the competition world we are so excited to be hosting battle of the fittest couples we love working out as a couple through doing so we have learned so much about each other and has strengthened our relationship says Jojo Fletcher not only is this a physical competition 
but it's about partnership, and our goal is to have every couple leave this competition stronger both emotionally and physically, says Jordan Rogers. In Battle of His Couples, 12 of the toughest and most competitive couples made our way through grueling physical and mental main event challenges. They'll put every ounce of their athleticism to the test. The losing couple's automatically put up for elimination, and the winning couple gets to call the shots on choosing another couple to send with them to the Rage Cage. The Rage Cage. Rage Cage. That's their elimination round. It's called the Rage Cage. The ruthless rivals will then battle it out in a head-to-head brawl where one team will prevail and the other sent home. Okay, so it's like the genius game then because that's the, the rules of the genius game was the, the weakest player is automatically put up for elimination and then the winner puts up the next person for elimination. Um, no, 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 it was weakest puts there. Okay, never mind. Uh, through every episode, physical limits are pushed, alliances are made, and relationships are tested. In the end, only one couple will win $100,000 and be named Fittest Couple. This is the show. The show is called The Show is called Battle of the Fittest Couples. I mean, I saw the trailer. It's it feels like one of those MTV. It feels like the challenge mixed with they're really trying to aim for the ultra bro dude and then like the like bitchy girlfriend character and is just uh i mean i mean good job with the casting i guess but i'd be i'm not gonna i feel like i have to watch it only like a couple episodes because this is the job i do here now but at the same time this just looks like like american grit challenges they couldn't use oh well and plus the rage cage just looks like you know, you know that like weird like dome metal dome thing that kids in the playground used to play with in like the 70s and 80s looks like one of those but with like the the broken skull challenge uh games of like wrestling endurances <laughs> so this i don't know how to feel hang on did you say streaming services i sure did nothing gets me more excited than finding out about peacock nbc's newest streaming service but because I haven't seen any unscripted shows that are game shows, they're all talk shows, let's move on to HBO Max. HBO Max takes an inaugural step into unscripted space with Emmy Award winners behind Queer Eye and Amazing Race. Legendary and The Greatest Space have both been ordered straight to series. <clears throat> Legendary will be serving up 10 episodes of All Body and Face with no shade. In this show, divas will battle on voguing teams called houses with the chance to win a cash prize in ballsy fashion and dance challenges to ultimately achieve legendary status. Voguing is a competitive style of modern dance featuring over-the-top fashion and choreography based on poses struck by models on a catwalk. Legendary will feature 10 voguing houses, each comprised of five performers and a leader, the house parent. The teams rotate in a round-robin format, and each episode documents a themed ball from start to finish. They walk, they serve, they live to slay. Jesus fucking Christ. Jesus shit. 
these are both this is like this is what we have for game shows after the summer i've lived through with like press your luck and car tricks this is what gets thrown in the series this shit are you fucking kidding me this is a little joke i'm i'm not even like trying to do a bit here like this is the shit we're seeing here Look, okay, legendary. I I, I kind of get it. Voguing, I've heard of it. I I'm I'm not. Too, I'm I mean I'm not into the voguing myself. But it feels too much like well, drag race is big with the gays. How can we appeal to other gays? Voguing. Let's go through all the terms. It's not leader. They're parents. They're houses, not teams. And it's choreography with fashion. Okay, I get that. How about you change up the press release? Because I'm reading this and I'm just regretting like even reading every sentence of this shit. If, wouldn't Legendary be more set, like better if it was Legendary is a team competition series over who's the best at voguing. Each week, a new design, a new challenge will be made, and these teams have to rise up to the occasions, or they have to exit the runway and out of the game. At the end, one house will walk away with $100,000, whatever is their grand prize. I'm guessing because it's HBO Max, they'll just get a trophy and maybe, like, I don't know, uh, deal with some fashion company for, for, like, some posters. But like I, reading that just gives me, because it's not telling me like what the competition is until I read round robin format and a themed ball from start to finish. It's a round robin game, so it's gonna be like two teams each episode, and one's left. Okay, so ten episodes, ten houses. The winners, whoever wins the most of these games, I guess. I'd. Is it like one week is sci-fi like? Are we trying to go for the uh, the Met Gala themes, or are we trying to go for like who's the best at like dancing to the song and then doing that that forty five degree angle turn and then pause and lip sync? Because from what I'm gathering here, it sounds to me like they're really not going into the voguing, and it doesn't really seem like they are really knowing what they're doing. It's this does seem like they're just doing team drag race and that to me uh is a recipe for disaster and i think that also is going to be just i'm not gonna say offensive but i'm gonna say is somewhat annoying <laughs> and to a point where it's going to be like i'm gonna sit this and go so is this supposed to be top model is this supposed to be project runway so you think you can dance is this supposed to be all of the above because I understand the voguing is every one of these little bits, but they're too caught up in using the terminology right now that it's annoying. This is like calling them racers, like, and 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 it's like if you read drag like Drag Race, Drag Race is an iconic show. It's great because it it's a, almost a flip the script of reality television tropes. This would be like if they just said queens every five seconds in referring to the racers and then try to bring like blip sync for your life as if it's like a, a life or death situation instead of just a fun dancing sequence show. <sighs> oh, well, next 
The Greatest Space, working title. Okay, good, so they can change the name on this one. A 10-episode epic design competition show will feature interior designers traveling around the world to transform an eclectic mix of empty rooms into spectacular spaces. In each one-hour episode, pairs of professional designers will head out in a country-hopping adventure, traveling to a new city in search of their canvas. Along the way, challenges will force them to lift directly from some of the most glamorous audacious and ambitious rooms all around the world from ballrooms to bedrooms to tree houses and everything in between competitors battle to win the judges favor high stakes surprises language barriers and exotic locales await these designers along with unpredictable eliminations but if they can hold on the dwindling designers will gain access to a larger more surprising and more imaginative spaces in pursuit of a substantial cash prize which they haven't even disclosed so this must be very early on. This is HBO Max. So this is the new thing that Warner Brother is working with. So can't wait to see that paired with Titans, I guess. Uh, I mean, Great Space seems kind of fun. I mean, that seems like an HGTV show. That seems like a show that was like like going to go into some of these other uh, networks and they kind of passed it down. So it being on HBO Max doesn't sound that good. Legendary sounds like ambitious project that isn't necessarily uh cooked up it sounds like the original premise of legendary was like a voguing face-off show with two teams and that was it like a chopped and now they try to make run robin format because probably they can't find that many voguing teams or they don't really have quote-unquote houses oh boy the the houses are just like what bungalows on in the studio <laughs> like what and greatest space, I mean, like, all I can imagine is just like, ha ha, here's like a family from Chicago, and here's like so, some people from Florida, and they're in like China, and they don't speak Chinese. So it's like, ha ha, the judges are pissed or something. I Like, that's all I can imagine with these shows. These two just make me just, I don't, it just, I feel like this is the, the, I feel like I'm reading like really awful news, even though it's just like shows that most people won't actually watch or for, or even like remember. Um, this is just this is just a reality of game shows. They're all around us, folks. Don't don't think just trivia. Think interior design or voguing houses. Well, some good news, I guess. NBC announced they're doing season two of the Titan Games. Did you know that's based off the workouts of Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Uh, all right. So uh, when we launched Titan Games, we set to create an entirely new athletic composition series unlike anything ever done before, said Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm excited to get back into the Titan Arena and meet our new group of tough, limitless, and inspirational men and women from all walks of life. They'll be tested mentally and physically at the highest level, going head-to-head -head in our diabolical and insane challenges. Season 1 was epic, and our titans pushed all boundaries. So for Season 2, we're taking it to the next level with new challenges, a new arena setting, and an incredible list uh, set of competitors. Uh, okay, then. So, yay, Titan Games. I guess if you don't have American Gladiators, that's the next best thing. Okay, well, finally... Have you heard of The Voice? The singing competition series will get ready because Tay-Tay, Taylor Swift, is joining the show and returning as a mentor for season 17. Uh, she originally served in season 7 as The Voice as a mega mentor, and then she 
appeared in last year's finale to promote the the next album, I guess, uh, which is Lover. She's going to show up as a mega mentor for this season. So all I want to know is, is it going to be forever or is it going to go down in flames? You can tell me when it's over if the high was worth the pain. Got a long list of ex-lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane. Because you know I love the players. And you love the game. Because we're young and we're reckless. We'll take this way too far. It'll leave you breathless. Or with a nasty scar. I got a long list of ex-lovers. They'll tell you I'm insane. But I've got a blank space baby. And I'll write your name. Does this sort of thing interest you? Females, the age-old tradition of coupling, Pick me. Pick me. dressed up with a happening set, boss camera angles, and some shiny polyester threads. It's a brand new season of Singled Out, premieres Monday, May 20th at 7 and 11 on MTV. Hi folks, my name is Jordan, I'm 30, uh, Pisces. I like to watch game shows and talk about them on a podcast. And occasionally have fun by going to Dave and Buster's and spicy foods and falling asleep to professional wrestling videos. It's tough to find love. Some of us are lonely, and our insecurities make us feel hopeless. In this never ending quest to find a partner, finding love is such a tough thing to do, let alone document onto half hour television. Producers love this concept of love because it pretty much means not spilling out that much money or prizes. While the 60s and 70s gave us the irrelevance of the dating game, the 90s saw a new dating show for a new generation. In this show, contestants are whittled away until only one is singled out in order to win the date. Could looking in this time capsule help me out in finding romance, or am I just going to go back to Tinder, Grindr, or OkCupid? Let's find out and turn the tables. With me on the line is the co-host of Struggle Session. And uh, excuse Vampire. me, uh, excuse me. I am the host of Struggle Session. I- I'm the host of Struggle Session. Jack is the co-host. I am the co-host of Vampire Castle with Jamie Pack, but I just want to make it very clear. I am the host. Jack is the co-host. But please continue. You're, you're also the star of Struggle Session. Well, you know, who's to say? Me. Except the fans. <laughs> the fans. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also my, my love guru, my, my go-to guy whenever I need dating advice or, it, or help in, in, in the world <laughs> of relationships. Uh, Leslie Lee third, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm not sure about the uh, love guru thing, but with the show we're talking about, if you watch it yourself, maybe you'll uh, be able to become a love guru. Um, and I'm very excited to dive back into the 90s. A better era, a better time. This was, I would say, the peak of MTV. Because uh, some, oh, some people get nostalgic for the 80s MTV when there was all music videos. Uh, others get nostalgic for the 2000s because 
jackass, I guess, and date my mom. Uh, but I think where we're at is the peak of MTV. This is one of the, I would say this is the, aside from maybe remote control back in the er, like late 80s, this is the most iconic MTV game show ever created. We're yeah, talking absolutely. about singled out. <laughs> singled out, man. And, and this was my choice because I'm not a big um, game show fan. I've seen plenty because, you know, I, I didn't have cable a lot of the time growing up. So you end up watching a lot of game shows, not enjoying them or watching them. But singled out is one game show I remembered actually enjoying watching. Um, I don't know why. Um, because I've been watching this and the only good, the good feeling I get is the nostalgia itself. I couldn't explain what about it was good in the moment, but maybe, maybe during discussing with you, I'll be able to figure it out. But I did enjoy going back and looking at the fashion, the people, the haircuts and just like, Oh, this is what I thought was cool in like when I was like a freshman in high school, this is what like cool older kids were like. Lots of flannel. Lots of curtain cuts. Uh, yeah, lots of everybody's dressed like they're like a side character in the Big Lebowski. Um, like it's <laughs> wild. It is wild that all of this was the height of cool at that time. This is 1996. So before we get into the, because we can pretty much it can go where we're gonna go into the 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 big core points, but first. Let me tell you the creators of the show, because that, I think, is, is something that's always gone missing. Two people, Sharon Sussman and Burt Wheeler. Uh, Burt Wheeler uh, only did, like, a cr- few crappy game shows back in the day. He did, like, eight episodes of Sale of the Century. This was his big hit, by the way. <laughs> uh, later on, he would go on to do uh, an uncredited role in Peer Pressure, the worst <laughs> teen game show of, of, like, the late 90s. And also go for the green with Tom Green on the uh, the on the I believe it was like some sort of like a uh, science channel to help uh, go green. So they had like like go green, eco- green. ecology based questions like which of these takes up the less carbon with Tom no. Green hosting. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and Saren Sussman was like the partner in crime. Also worked on all those shows. Uh, the other points we have to give is uh, Mark Cronin, because I think a lot of people will cash him in for for this. Now, Mark Cronin, we've explained him just slightly back in the day. He was a writer for Howard Stern back in the day. Uh, he also did the X show on FX. He did Beat the Geeks. He did Cram. He did The Surreal Life. He did Celebrity Paranormal Project. Basically, all the celebrity reality games. So, I Love New York and Flavor of Love and Rock of Love. Oh, okay. All those great shows. You can blame him. So, so when it comes to a dating game show, this is kind of his, uh, his world. He also created Idiot Test, which we just covered, uh, uh, I believe, back in, in September. So, we're good. Yeah, it's it's interesting to learn that all these like shows connected and the reality TV shows kind of sprung from the producers of the like dating game shows. Like that's interesting because we don't really think of these things coming from like people or creators. We don't think of like people who make game shows or reality TV shows as creatives, but they are in a sense they're 
their um there's some of their you know um obsessions and imprints in these shows i think that you can uh suss out if you look over them on a broad scale and uh yes a lot of these people are definitely been just are just people in offices going well what will work guys we have any ideas you guys have any ideas what do you think what do you think huh yeah, this is them expressing what they think kids would be into, and then and then in turn making kids be into it. Now we are in the '90s. MTV, of course, tried to appeal to teenagers, and we are in the cusp of what I call the anti '90s. Not messing against '90s, but this is the '90s. So you know, this was like the peak of anti heroes in comic books and in movies. <laughs> And then you have your uh, you have your 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 attitude era is just about to start because this is ninety six, and we are about to see uh, in in World of Game shows a lot of this isn't your mama's family feud, this isn't yeah. your uh, daddy's game show. So MTV wanted to try their hand on flipping the script on a lot of game show stereotypes. Early in the in the decade, they did something called Trashed, which was the first game show hosted by Chris Hardwick. Uh, and it was a, a, I would say, the worst game show I've ever seen in my life. But, Wait, I thought Chris Hardwick did did something before that. I thought he did like a video game TV show. Way, or maybe I'm confusing with another Chris. I thought he did. Like I remember when I was a kid. I guess it, did, it couldn't have been Chris Hardwick because he's not that old. But there was a game show, like a video game game show, and the contestants were all children. That uh, is well. There is Johnny Arcade in Video Power, and then there Video Power, Video Power, and that wasn't Chris Hardwick. That we that oh. is some guy named uh, like Corey something or another. But he has him called oh. Johnny Arcade on the show. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because I, I feel like I knew Chris Hardwick from something before this, but I guess not. I guess maybe I don't think it was trash, but I guess not. I just had implanted him in my mind in the place of Johnny Arcade. And I apologize to uh, Johnny Arcade. Yes, <laughs> we 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 praise Johnny Arcade here, the guy who only worked one season and maybe like forty episodes and called it a day. <laughs> Uh, but you know, Chris Hardwick was a was a K Rock DJ for a while. Okay, so that's how he ended up getting the job at Trash. Trash was this game show where basically it was just here's couples, and if they get questions wrong, their personal shit gets broken. So it's like, oh, I your your childhood teddy bear is, is in I like do. a is is sawed up, and you're you're we are burning your books, and we're like destroying your music collection. And it's all like, uh, I don't want to see that. I do remember that. Oh, that's funny. I do remember that. Show. And Chris Hardwick would play this asshole so bad, like he's just you're a total loser. Look at the loser guys. Look at the guys. We're gonna we're gonna smash the, their family face. <laughs> And oh it just, yeah, I'm looking clips of it now. They're like pouring beer on this poor guy. Yeah, I remember this show. Oh man, that's kind of uh, it's fucked up. It, it is looked the, cool though, cool set design. It is really cool set design. Uh, also, a lot of uh, stand-up comedians got their start there. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's actually where Doug Benson got one of his first like TV roles. And uh, like. And it's it's also uh, what was that one comedian that the uh, uh, the other Doug 
the, uh, the who also writes Deadpool for a while there. Uh, he was one of the writers for that show. Also, I believe John uh, Joel Joel Hodgson from Stanhope. Doug Stanhope, I think. Yes, J- Doug Stanhope. Uh, of course, that show ended up being a massive failure. Uh, and in its place, when everyone thought, okay, Chris Hardwick, your career is over. You can't do another game show. One year later, they pitched a new show called Singled Out. And, uh, well, here's how the show works. If you've never seen Singled Out, and many of you are probably under the age of 25, so you've probably never seen the show. Uh, essentially, it, it's it's the... Imagine a Battle Royale game. This is your Fortnite. This is your... Uh, this is like a... This really is a Battle Royale game where it's 50 single men and 50 single ladies, and they're trying to vie for the affection of uh, the main contestant. In the first round, there are six categories... And each of these six categories is based on attributes. So this could be anything from hair, eyes, uh, butt, to music taste, to uh, ideal date, to uh, favorite movies. And they would pick a category, and then it would be a choice of two like subtle hints of what they could be. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like they asked the OK Cupid questions in like real time live basically is what the the show the premise of the show is where you get to narrow where you have uh one person uh, either a man or a woman and then you have 50 guys or 50 girls behind them and they've all answered this questionnaire and each uh time and for each of those six questions the uh person the the contestant um chooses which they would prefer um, where like long hair or short hair, they always have like funny names uh, to stuff. One was about legs, and one uh, was like um, Marsha Brady or Cindy Crawford. And uh, if you if the contestants like Cindy Crawford, then all the Marsha Brady's, the shorter girls, would come out uh, and pass through and show them what they've missed out on because they, they they've lost. Now. And it's the best part of the show. I would say this is the highlight of. A singled out is basically this one guy looking at like 20 women just walk by and they're just all disgusted with him and he's like what? <laughs> yeah. oh fuck i made oh damn it <laughs> <laughs> and they really play it up too like all the all the girls are like oh you missed out so much all the guys are like oh all the guys are like oh why would you do this to me baby like half of them like kiss the, the woman's hand when they pass by it is just a bizarre thing because it's just a bunch of strangers who don't know each other. You don't other. know them at all. But there is, in, in this round, after they cut like two or three, because they have to will it down to eight in this round, there is one, and I would actually like to say this, this is the first iteration of probably a lifeline that I have seen on a game show called the, the Golden Ticket, where of one of those contestants that goes by, if the contestant's like, oh, I want to learn more about them, they can present them the Golden Ticket, and they're going straight to the round two. And they're safe. Yeah, yeah. If they're hot enough, and they discourage, and they got rid of them, you can save them and say, "Oh, actually, yes, I would like to be possibly sexually available for you." Uh, that's the thing. The thing in this show is just it's so goddamn horny. Like everybody <laughs> is just like hooting and hollering, honking, men, women, all of them, just so horny for the entire thirty minutes. It's all just a bunch of young people, young, good-looking. 
ish for the most part young people just completely fucking horny like just horniness in the air even the host so horny jimmy mccarthy is really super horny on this show oh um, you're going package do you like it yardstick or nice and thick <laughs> yeah. and it's just amazing that they can put something so horny on a uh, TV show with no nudity whatsoever. No In fact, people are, people are wearing like too many clothes because it's the 90s. This like, is loving it. And by the <laughs> way, this is soundstage. So there's like hot lamps and everything. So yeah. that really <laughs> does suck twice as much. Uh, so, so when they eliminate these contestants uh, until they're down to like maybe f- five to eight, which is usually like three categories, which we go into round two, which is called the keep them or dump them round. This has a, a classic feel of classic games like the dating game, where it's basically just like, oh, what's your idea for a good time? Or sometimes really stupid, like, physical challenges, which make no sense because the contestant doesn't see, like, what's going yeah. on behind them. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the weird thing. So, like, sometimes they'll, like, they'll ask them to do stuff, like, do a dance or do a sexy dance or some shit like that. And then the audience has to be the one to tell the person um, in front of the contestant, like whether they did good or not. It's really bizarre. Like the contestant has no idea, doesn't see any of these people until uh, the very end, which I guess they took from like the newlywed game or whatever. But then they try to game it up because the first round and the second round are kind of the same thing. Just asking like, random questions and and shit and so that whenever they want to do like a game game um the person is blindfolded so they can't really be a good judge of it it's, it's really like it but there's there's so little to it but it's still entertaining because as i said everyone is just so hype and horny and weird now, when they get now, it's either a keep or a dump. If they su- survive and they're like a thumbs up, they go through to the final round. If they get dumped, either Jenny McCarthy or the fat Cupid himself shows up and hands yeah. him like a, the dumped bag, which is like a big sad face on a paper bag. Yes, we got to This is the only time I guess we can really bring up fat Cupid in this show. <laughs> I think when yeah. I think of the show, you know, you think of, you know, McCarthy or 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 Electra or in Chris Hardwick, but he's like the actual like model of the show. <laughs> well, the mascot, if you will, of the show. Yes. He's, uh, he's... We'll get to the sad part here. Uh, the guy's name was Tom Dorfmeister. He passed away on April 27th of this year. Oh, oh so that's the sad news. But his legacy will live on with all of these episodes of Singled Out showing him in his best performance as li- as Bob the Cupid. Well, the thing is, I don't think it will uh, live on, sadly, because there's not I don't think MTV has like ever like posted like any of these shows. And it's really hard for them to do so because um, they use a lot of like licensed music and stuff. That uh, is when they true. go through a break. So, like, they would have to, like, and these are, like, pay, like, better than Ezra um, <laughs> in order to repost it or have or recut it. And I don't know if they care that much. I just remember a lot of times when they had, like, the boys get eliminated, they had Gillette Short Short Man play in the background <laughs> as if to imply that everyone who got eliminated had, like, a short dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't want no short, short man. 
Uh, <laughs> so when they gatekeep their dump, it, there's three people left. And this is usually supposed to be the provocative round two where it's just... And most of these people are just having fun because, hey, this is the 90s. There is no YouTube. This is your one chance to be on camera and be on television. So they just get, like, eliminated uh, until we get to the final cut. When three or four players are left... Uh, it is the final race. And this is the part where it's kind of like a board game of some sort. Yeah. Where it's now played as like a matchup between the two, which is similar to the very first round as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not very different. It's just asking them more questions to kind of narrow it down. Do you prefer the indoors or outdoors? Uh, do you scream watching scary movies? Yes or no? It's just like, that's about it. <laughs> and then when it ends, then suddenly you hear like alarm noises, <laughs> like a big grand prize. <laughs> and then Chris Hardwick has to completely like blow up everyone's proportions of who the contestant is and like try and drum a pipe. Like, this is it. This is your contestant. This is your winner. After going through all these things, trials and tribulations, you got this lady. His name is Greg. He is a 22 year old, uh, physics student from UCLA. <laughs> yeah. And it's always supposed to be this like big reveal. And it always ends up being like super awkward, like with a turnaround, hug usually i think they want a kiss um i think you get a couple of kisses over the series but usually it's just like this really kind of awkward hug when they turn around sometimes you get two truly horny people who just like go at it but most of the time it's just like an awkward hug and the prize of course is just them going out on a date with each other. <laughs> like, that yes. is the grand prize. That's the contest. That's what they're doing. That's what they did all this the, for. So when it comes to a date prize, uh, some game shows do it uh, separate in different things. They call it a, date, a second date, like, just, here's a paid dinner. Others say it's like a resort vacation. On uh, Singled Out, what they did was essentially just, like, here's tickets to a theme park. <laughs> Like here's yeah. like tickets to Six Flags for the day, <laughs> and and the funny thing is like in in every episode they say that a chaperone will be provided uh, at if the uh, contestants want it like like they're so obviously like the single out screening process not so tight. Um, oh, the chaperone. So oh no no, the chaperone is really a production assistant. Because what they have to do is they're like, we we bought these tickets. You have to go. You have to go on the date. <laughs> and it's like this poor, like, low-paid intern just standing there, like, just watching awkwardly as they're just talking. Yes. Or not talking. <laughs> so, uh, you you got, you like, uh, I, heard, I see you have a Nirvana shirt. That's neat. <laughs> yeah, I like Nirvana. Do you ever went to a concert? No. Okay, that's the show. Uh, then we flip the script, and now it's uh, one single man and 50 single women. Yes, and all the women are hooting and hollering and just trying to prove that they're just as horny as the guys. And, that, and just the same process again. So, and then we rinse, repeat. That's two episodes, rinse, repeat over and over again. Now... Do you want to continue talking about Hardwick or do you want to go into reboot or do you want to do that later? I think we should do uh, 
Because the reboot is a little different. I think we should stick with the 90s because we need to have this soft spot for the 90s first before we completely destroy every problem of this new reboot. Yeah, so as I I said, I couldn't think think when I was rewatching it why I liked it initially, but... There's it's just comforting to be back in the '90s for some reason. On the re, on the rewatch, I enjoyed it because it's just like seeing a bunch of all the kids that I thought were cool when I was in high school. Like the, even the commercials were included because this is like a bootleg version. Seeing old commercials and that nostalgia feeling you get for like seeing old old commercials. It's just, but it's is it a good show? I don't think so. The hosts are kind of funny chris harwick and jenny mccarthy especially is really funny she's a really um funny person too bad that she became like a anti-vaxxer um, but um, sadly enough she was not the uh, worst one because chris harwick is a abuse uh creepy abusive guy we stand um, with chloe dykstra in this relationship here yeah uh, yeah definitely but uh, Jenny McCarthy is excellent on the show. I always I do like Carmen Electra, but she didn't really have like the weird, gross out thing that Jenny does. She wasn't as, nearly as gross or as horny as Jenny. Um, yes. So I was a little sad when uh, Carmen replaced her. Jenny McCarthy was a byproduct of the '90s. I think she. This is like her perfect show. This is like the show that was almost made for her because all she gets to do is just like heckle guys. Call them sluts and pigs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, and like, like, kick their ass and just be like, you suck, loser. Get yeah. out of here. Yeah, like, she grabs them. She slaps them. Like, I'm, like she basically, like, Al Franken's, like, somebody every single episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all good, I guess. It was the it 90s. It was a different time. And then he just, it like, belittles big- them as they leave. Like, get out of here, you guys. You all dorks. Go play your Nintendo back at home with your mom. Yeah, And constantly. it's like, half of these people still live with their mom <laughs> today. <laughs> And well, Chris this was the '90s. This was when you could get a uh, where uh, you know, nineteen-year-old guy could afford uh, to have his own place. <laughs> this was so it not all of the, so living with your mom was actually an insult and not actually the standard thing you had to do until your thirties. And Chris Hardwick in this, he never really belittled the people leaving the show. He was always protective of the main contestant. So it was always like, oh, you could have had, oh well, oh darn, yeah. oh well. Well, Jamie Cards is like, you suck, you smell, get out of here. You, <laughs> you get out of here. And it was like this weird relationship where they weren't like, you never, like, unlike, say, like a Pat and Vanna where people assume, like, are they dating or are they in a relationship? You never assumed Chris and Jenny were a relationship, even though at one point. Yeah, it seemed like a very, like, I do remember it was like a nice presentation of a platonic male-female friendship. And I think that's why I still, to this day, have a lot of close female friends because of this show. It taught you how to have a relationship uh, with a woman that's strictly platonic, how to have a real friendship, and that's by the woman being like a gross asshole, (laughs) a piece of shit, just like your male friends. I'm taking notes right now. All right, uh, and the set design was also very cool because it looked like this cathedral with like a stained glass with a singled out logo. 
Uh, you had like an organ in the background, which was uh, a piano played by John Ernst. He was known yeah, as Piano yeah. Boy on the show. Yeah, Piano Boy. I looked him up. This was his like first uh, big. This was his big break, uh, being Piano Boy on uh, Singled Out. It's okay uh, because he also was on the Peer Pressure Show, which no one ever brings up because I just remind people this was a much better show. Uh, the best part is that. This show apparently was such a popular show, they made two books about dating, one for guys, one for girls, called The Single Out Guide to Dating. Uh, And then the other was a VHS tape, which kind of had a how-to. I remember buying that over at Tower Records. (laughs) (laughs) But the funny thing is, it's not even, because the show is not about dating. Dating is just the prize. The show is really more about, like, expressing your um, prejudices about who you want to date potentially but it doesn't tell you anything about dating or being in a relationship or connecting with um, someone at all on on anything but a purely uh, superficial level so in that regard it really is the perfect 90s dating show it's (laughs) It is, and also, it, it's one of those shows that is, because it was played in two halves, it is one of those early bingeable shows, because 20, like, four minutes divided by two is 12 minutes, this precursor to YouTube. It's like, you can just watch one game and be like, I'm done. Yeah, and- it, it, was, it was very watchable. I remember they used to do all-day marathons and, of it on the weekend sometimes, and it was just hypnotic because it was kind of the same thing because it was the same thing over and over again every 12 minutes but by the time you got to the end of the first 12 minutes you wanted another taste of that the beginning of that first 12 minutes and just on and on and on there was something very soothing about watching a lot of this before you get to like be with some butthead or celebrity death match or in this case probably real world or road rules not the challenge. It was just like back in the day when they would just have the RV. Yeah. Uh, and I, it, there's something impressive. Jenny McCarthy had this great personality, but then we went to Carmen Electra because she left to do the Jenny McCarthy sketch comedy show on MTV and tried to do sitcoms. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and Carmen, yeah, Carmen just is not the same personality she's just not as over top over top she's much more refined she it felt like she was much more concerned with her long-term career while jane mccarthy just gave no fucks and would do and say anything and didn't really care she wasn't trying to present an image even though of course jane mccarthy looks you know beautiful blonde she has you know when you look at her she's like supposed to be the prototypical perfect 90s woman but she just like didn't really care about any of that she just wanted to be as funny as possible and carmen electra was right off baywatch at the time like this was the actually Baywatch nights and then this is the time when 97 rolled around when it's like hey she's the girl from baywatch now and hey have you seen her on good burger (laughs) Yeah, it's like, uh, so she had already had, like, the media training or whatever, and, you know, she kind of, you know, had, she kept it in, kept it reined in, while Jenny McCarthy hadn't, I don't think, I don't know if she had done anything else before this, aside from being a Playboy model, and so she was just her kind of herself. 
And it's like, yes, one is a very beautiful model and was a model at the time. Jenny McCarthy had like three iconic things. One was the singled out. Two was that uh, photo shoot where she's just sitting on a toilet eating a hot dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And third is, of course, the anti-vaccine yeah. <laughs> viewpoint on the view. <laughs> uh, but I think this show does a lot to talk about, first of all, like the culture of the 90s. This is like the perfect time capsule of 1990s culture I could think of. Oh, yeah. Like, because you, you see so many different, you see a hundred different young people every episode. Everything that anybody is wearing is on this show. 90% of it is like slightly baggy jeans and bowling shirts. But that's that was what was happening at the time. And then sometimes they just wore costumes. And yeah, you don't every know so if they often, were like a bit or something. Yeah, every so often somebody wore a costume. But there's no point because the person you're trying to impress doesn't see you until the very, very end. So unlike um, The Price is Right, for example, where... You you wear a costume, uh, you know. I guess do they wear costumes? No, not the Let's price. Let's make a white. deal. Let's make a deal. Yeah, you wear a silly costume in hopes of getting on camera. Like the costume doesn't help you at all on this. <laughs> it does not at all, and it's it's a lovable format. And I would say yes, even though it's like just like maybe like a sea show in the grand scheme of things. This is one of those things where if it's like pinpoint a decade in like what was the biggest game show and you're like 80s press your luck uh 2000s would be millionaire 90s is singled out in my opinion yeah, yeah i think that's a fair assessment because it's just the one that's the most 90s um just has everything <laughs> that was going on in the 90s the music the fashion the attitude. celebrity cameos yeah, they had a couple of celebrity cameos. Uh, uh, Sonny from WWE. Uh, uh, yeah, Sonny, right in the peak of the Attitude Era when she had her suit. Uh, yeah. Then they had like a Boy Meets World episode based on Singled Out. I could definitely see that. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever watched it. But like if you are, you, I guess that was when they were a little bit older and like going to college. But yeah, if you were like college age, why the fuck wouldn't you want to be on Singled Out? It was, you know, um, the thing I think to do. I mean, I guess that's why they always had like hundreds of people show up for it. And some people, of course, did repeat performances because, hey, you know, they're not saying like once you're dumped, you're dumped. So sometimes people just get dumped multiple times and they eventually get into the pool. When they re- but now we have to jump into reboot. Leslie, you agree the show should not be rebooted. No, you can't. You can't repeat this. Like, and frankly, uh, kids today aren't cool enough <laughs> to make it interesting. As far as I'm concerned. Oh well, what if you instead uh, got conceded to be the presenter of the show? Conceded the battle rapper from Wild and Out. And oh. Justina Valentine as the host. Yes. Oh. You know, yeah, like from Fetty Wap's rap video. <laughs> you know her, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not like Jenny McCarthy was a household, necessarily a household name at the time, but she's clearly a talented, talented uh, performer, and you can't just replicate that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can't. It, they tried to replace it with Carmen Electra, and like, there's nobody cool and funny enough uh, to do it now. And it doesn't sound like the people, uh, I guess, 
the backup dancer from a Fetty Wap video could really uh, do Host it. The show and they can't. I'm telling you right now, they don't, even though I'm pretty sure they're both gross people, I would rather see Hardwick and McCarthy <laughs> over these two <laughs> any day. It's awful. It's a terrible thing to say, but it's true. I'm looking at the clips right now, like, this set looks yeah. like shit. It looks like a it like a box garbage. stage. Like yeah, it looks like a black box theater. <laughs> That's what it looks like. It they didn't put the like the time into making it look cool. Like they're trying. To, well, like they try to make it look. I don't know like sleek and minimalist, but that's not what it, that's not that interesting to look at for 30 minutes. So it's actually just like a 12 minute show because this is a YouTube presentation. It's not even MTV proper. Oh, oh no, it gets oh. worse. Leslie, this is going to be the what, what they're going to put on Quibi. This is a Quibi show now. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I can <laughs> that see was it, the though. big reveal, Leslie. This is a it Quibi is show. Quibi. Jesus Christ. A quick bite uh, show for the platform that will never launch. It's a Quibi. It's a Quibi show. The only one who would probably have a more nervous breakdown between as Jack. And it doesn't. Oh, and it looks really bad, too, because they don't even have, like, as many people as they're supposed to have. Oh, no, no, no. See, they changed it. So it's 25 single men in the studio in 25 which is online URL versus IRL. So there's still technically 50 single bachelors and you still play the game in round one, like the same, like, Hey, what's more important, your cell phone or your computer. So in this hot new format of, of uh, singled out 25 are IRL in real life. 25 are online via URL, which are really just backstage. Uh, they play the same round like the, the normal, you know, pick the, the boobs or butt or whatever, and then they all get eliminated, and they all wave bye-bye. None of this is interesting, even because now you're reducing it to half, so you're only going to see, like, maybe, like, five people leave at a time, and then you see, like, little icons disappear on a screen. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. Like, all the fun is that interaction of that massive group of people walking away. That is the most fun part of the show. And then in round two, they are you get to see who the URL people are based on a name and a dating profile, but you don't know if they're real or not. That's the hint. Ooh. You you don't know if you're real or not? Like so it's like a catfish like yes. scenario. That's their twist. Oh, so it, now in, in singled out, you can pick the real life person in front of you or go for the for go the unknown online that could be a catfish. Oh, come on. That's just... No, the whole point is that you could be catfished like live on studio because all the people were there and one of them might be a kooky guy with red hair or something like that. Yeah, that's no exactly what they're going for. And they're trying to be like, can you seduce me using only emoji as one of their challenges, by the way? Oh, jeez. It's just... Uh, it's... Uh, you hate to see it. You hate to see a once great you know, thing turned into something awful. It's okay, though. It's a Quibi show. Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's this, and then it's like they're trying to go for, like, of course, character actors in as the catfish, or they're trying to be like, here's the big fat lady that you thought was a cute boy. Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, that's very, you know, timely, I guess. Yeah. Not, not all problematic. Like, what? Like, the they show tried, is they try to say they're progressive. They now have same sex couples on the show. 
Oh, well, yeah. Except, you know, and then you could get catfished by um, a big, you know. By Fat fat, Cupid uh, shows up again. Yeah, Fat Cupid shows up again. You get get catfished, but it's LGBTQ, so it's like progressive or whatever. Like, it looks like, and like, they don't, and none of the people I'm looking at now, none of the background audience, none of them look horny. They're not horny at all. There's no horniness at all on this show, which was the entire point. Leslie, none of these people were born when that show existed. Yeah. This is 96. This sh- this is- we're in 2019 right now. Like, yeah, This is the that's... kind of shit that I, I kind of keep reveling on Twitter about, uh, about the Funko Pop economy. <laughs> Where now, it doesn't matter anymore if the show's good or not. It's all about the IPs. Yeah, like I don't know why they brought this one back. I mean, because I mean, even if because it's bizarre. Because like, what does that name mean? Because everybody who watched the show is like in their late thirties, early forties now. So what is like? They don't want to watch a bunch of young people like ever. Um, like it. Uh, and then you know, if they actually do turn in and watch, like all these young people, they're like squares. They're not even like horny. These they're are just, like dorks. Like even I am cooler than like these. They're not. They're not cool. Uh, they have no frosted tips whatsoever. Where you had abundance <laughs> in the old one. I I don't know who this could possibly be for. This is for this is for the parents. This is for the parents of these kids. These are the. This is for the for some reason the late Gen Xers who had kids are now twenty years older and are like look. I I saw this show when I was in college, and now it's your turn. <laughs> you go on the singled out, and you find love. And then it's like, oh, well, tough luck. They don't really give a shit. <laughs> like, Valentine, yeah. and I think Valentine only got casted because the last name is Valentine, and they want to go for a <laughs> love romance. It really is, like... You can't. How can you fuck up a reboot of Singled Out? Is really because I do. It's it's. I think it's just IP bay. I think this is really just MTV had the intellectual property, and they're like, "Well, just bring it back. Why not? We're just uh, it's a safe. It's a safe uh, pick. I mean, dating shows are on the rise. Uh, this is a one of our all time biggest hits. So why not? Yeah, but they brought it came back wrong. Like it got put in the pet cemetery. What you need to do is you need to like go to like a nightclub and then wrangle those people up, or you go to like the far reaches of like social media where it's really all the losers that will never get dates. Yeah, like you could you could do a cool new twist on it, but this is not it. This is not it whatsoever. And it's the it's a shame because, as I said in the very beginning of the show. This is a battle royale dating show. Battle royales are the big craze right now. Yeah. <laughs> the, like a dating version of this should be like a big home run. And somehow they managed to fuck this one up. Yeah, they managed it to look boring, stale. Um, not, again, reiterate, not horny at all. And just not cool. <laughs> it's just a completely uncool version of something that was once uh, very cool. And so, and, you know, I would just suggest instead of trying to watch the new single out, watch the one or two episodes uh, of the old one there on YouTube. 
it's uh it's really a shame uh but you know i can't even think of like normally at this part of the show i would like okay here's my reboot here's who i would host here's all the thing i can't think of anyone who could be like the horny funny host especially in a post me too world especially yeah. considering <laughs> chris hardwick yeah yeah it's almost is i mean to be honest with you yeah it's I don't know if you really want to bring back Singled Out because it, it was too horny and Jimmy McCarthy was like groping dudes constantly and people were like kissing each other and making Open out mouth kissing the when they win, like French kissing. You did it. Yeah, and then you put these send these people out on dates. I'm like, maybe it's just not the time for it. Maybe it's just not for this time of Singled Out. We, ha- we did it. Um, it's in a time capsule. It's just there. And just let it be. And uh, don't try to bring it back. Or you put 100 people on an island. That's the unfortunate part. Leslie, before we end the show, we usually do a lightning round situation here. Uh, Five questions. Each correct answer you get is a plug. You can get five free plugs if you get this. You 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 only have sixty seconds to answer these though. This is the tough okay. part of it. This, okay, sounds like you're in. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, let's put sixty seconds on the clock. All right. What's more important, butt or music taste? Music taste. Carmen Electra or Jenny McCarthy? Jenny McCarthy. Can the Leslie lead a third two film role work for television shows? No. Is Chris Hardwick canceled? Yes. Am I canceled? Um, not, not not yet. Not yet. Okay. Judges are saying sure. Okay, it works. Five for five. <laughs> oh, awesome. I am also- sweating bullets now. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna find my old I- tweets, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like, like I'll Shane never Gillis. get to host Saturday Night Live at this rate. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, if they weren't racist enough, you don't get hired by Saturday Night Live. No, I'll never get my own Quibi show. (laughs) (laughs) So, Leslie, we got five plugs. What would you like to promote? All right. Struggle Session, patreon.com slash struggle session. We have upcoming tour in Milwaukee, Detroit, and Cleveland, along with Bugmane and Jack AM. We'll be coming back, yes, back to the Midwest. You can get tickets uh, the link will be at strugglesession.us, and um, that's about it. We just put out a new episode of Struggle Session where we talked about the uh, 9-11 uh, Spider-Man comic, which is truly awful, And but I would recommend listening to the show just to hear how awful it is. I remember reading that comic, and it was just like, even I didn't read comics back then, I'm like, this is like awful. Like what? Even the villains are like having sympathy here. What's yeah? Bizarre. And now I'm just scared. Uh, Leslie, thank you so much for stopping by here on Game Shows. I suppose. All right. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks again, Leslie, for stopping by. Leslie Lee, the third of Struggle Session and, and so many other podcasts. Now, uh, before we get going with what the oh, shit, I forgot section of the show, uh, I just want to keep plugging Bug Main Across America uh, because this is the Bug Main 
and he is an entertaining figure, an eccentric personality. He's welcome here anytime to bring his skittle scattle and his putty sauce. Wait, what? And if you want to get tickets, go to shop.bazizio.com right now. Uh, be sure to use promo code Jordan 10 at checkout. Save 10% off your order. Anyway, what? Uh, they're gonna, it's going to be three days. It's a three-day event on October 3rd. October 3rd. They will be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then the next day, October 4th, they will be in Cleveland, Ohio. And then the next day after that, October 5th, they'll be in Detroit, Michigan. Three days, three nights. You got all your favorites. You got Leslie. You got Jack Allison. You got Bugmane. And even more surprise guests. Could you say Kate Raft of Jack AM? I sure can. Anyway, uh, Bugwing, if you're ever uh, around, uh, feel free to stop on by and talk about game shows with me. Uh, but other than that, be sure to go to shop.bazizo.com for more details. Uh, now let's get to the oh shit, I forgot portion of the show. Uh, everyone seems to think that Jenny McCarthy or Carmen Electra was the announcer for Singled Out. Uh, it was actually a, a, a nice person by the name of Tammy Hayde. And uh, or Tammy Heed, as it turns out, uh, wonderful voice, kind of that perfect '90s, like dry, sarcastic female voice that a lot of people might have also confused for probably Daria at the time. Uh, <laughs> categories round is round one. Uh, it is six categories, each ranged from all sorts of random objects. That's I forgot to mention. There's six categories in that. And in each of these six categories, it's either two or three. You got to throw away the one that you want to get out. Um, for instance, hair would be, you know, blonde, brunette, or redhead. Uh, and then it keeps going from there. Uh, round two, it's keep them or dump them. Those were those dating game style questions I talked about or really silly, like, physical challenges, which doesn't matter because they don't get to see the contestant until they're at the very end. Uh, of course, if they it's called keep them or dump them. If they keep, they go through to the final cut. If they uh, fail, uh, they get dumped. Um, actually, no, no, no. If they keep them, they go into the final race. If they get dumped, they you hear a flushing toilet noise, and then they get a toilet seat over their head or a bag over their head because dump, like poop, poop, ha, ha, ha. Uh, Next is the final cut. If there are more three or four players remaining after the final, after two have been going through to the next round, there's the final cut. Uh, this is where players got involved in that question. The picker got to choose uh, who to keep. Um, this round ended when contestants were kept or enough players were dumped to leave just three behind. The potential date then received the golden ticket, which sometimes the host would show him or her to the picker. Then um, the final race. Uh, Mira was taken away from behind the picker to reveal a uh, walk away with five spaces behind him. Just five. The three finalists were now given nicknames based on their silly actions or some weird quirk about them. Uh, and then there was a series of A, B questions. And if they pricked what the same way as the picker, they move one space. Uh, if there was a... If the standing was won the date with him or her, if there was a tie, there would be a question of numerical things, such as how many dates did it happen or how many numbers does she have in her cell phone? Uh, closest guess wins the date. In the reveal, then they reveal back to back. There's some fun description. That's how it goes. Two games were played 50 50. Uh, as, as far as the YouTube version is concerned, 
uh it, it's just kind of um it's kind of bad the difference is that there's that url so there's still 25 contestants but they're backstage so there's still technically 50 singles in one room uh one thing that i will say as a positive about the new singled out is they did have like lgbt awareness somewhat by having uh bisexual uh, suitors so there were men and women in the mix uh they did have gay they did have lesbian so that's that's kind of there it's still kind of weird and still kind of shit though <laughs> to say the least because because i mean these are two people who are famous for i guess rap and it's like they have to just freestyle rap and most of the time it really is just like hey uh grab the booty uh go 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 jerk off you losers if you can't find a date go fuck your best friend hey it's just sure i guess that's close to the provocative behavior of singled out in the 90s but it's a relic of the past it's not necessarily today not even in today's teen world i would say uh, i would say that it it, it could be a little better there were special episodes. There were twins, for instance. Uh, there were a loser show where people who were lost multiple times got a second chance. Sometimes people who were dumped in a couple of episodes would show up then as the main picker contestant, which I think is a great addition because it shows that contestants that show on multiple times can finally become a character on their own and then finally uh, be that sole contestant that actually gets to, no matter what, win the show. Uh, there was, of course, those iconic Spring Break MTV episodes. Uh, in fact, uh, fun is the the like the early episode, like the very first episode, I believe, was through Spring Break. Like that's how they got it started was a singled out on an MTV Spring Break. I forgot to bring that up on on the episode with Leslie because I think that would have been great uh, discussion about the days of the MTV Spring Break and the MTV Summer Beach House. Um, so there is um. Funny uh, things, for instance, Allison Sweeney was a contestant on there as a picker. And also Donkey Lips from Salute Your Shorts because Viacom, am I right? Don't don't get angry about the MTV networks. And the episode called Singled Out of Boy Meets World was set on the set of Singled Out. And I should just point this out as like the best lighting of any episode of Singled Out I have seen, like even back in the day. <laughs> like this was like an actually better looking version is singled out as it turns out um so that is about it in terms of the the single out show uh what it taught me about dating was that it's okay to fail you can always find somebody else uh even if it takes six or seven attempts it's okay to be dumped and there are plenty of fish in the sea you know as it saying goes but in this case, it's going to be a contestant pool. The important part in all of this is having fun. It's okay to be embarrassed and to keep them or dump them around. And sometimes it's okay to be a little horny. But please remember that scent is important. As far as if I had to attempt a reboot, I mean, they're all there. You just uh, intentionally cast for, for crazy contestants. So you get your Juggalos, Protestants, SoundCloud rappers, etc. We drop that catfish thing. I get it. 21st century, we get catfish all the time. We don't need it. If anything, I think this needs to be a bit more edgy. 
I think this is the thing where this is like the perfect show for like the come town people. This is like you get Nick Mullen as the host, you get Adam Freeland as like a Jenny McCarthy, and get Stavros as the fat cu- Cupid, and just have them just do their show as singled out. I think that's the only way this could work in a 21st century format is offensive comedy and just go full blast on that with, with their horny jokes and edginess. That, we found it, folks. I think we found the, the perfect show for Cometown because I know these comedians, they get to host shows. So you know what? Get them the new singled out and then have Nick Mullen uh, say some racial slurs. I don't know. Um, but that's going to do it for us here. Now it's time for the 110-part series exploring every pricing game on The Price is Right. This is the Pricing Game Spotlight. Super Bowl! It's a Super Bowl with two exclamation points in this one. So I guess I have to scream it like, Super Bowl! Super Bowl! Super Bowl! Premiere date, February 3rd, 1981. Number 3982D. Finale date, January 12th, 1998. Number 0601K. I hate that, but... Uh, oh, well. Uh, Super Bowl was a pricing game based on the arcade game Skee-Ball. It was played for three large prices, each worth more than $1,000, and a cash prize of up to $3,000. This game also used small prizes. Here's how the game works. The contestant was shown three large prizes, each behind one of the big doors. The contestant was also shown three small prizes on the turntable, one at a time. Each prize had a ball that was also associated with one of the large prizes. Each small prize also displayed two prices. The contestant had to choose the correct price for the prize. If they were correct, they won the small prize and the ball. Otherwise, they lost the prize and the ball. After all three prizes were played, assuming the contestant had won at least one ball, they were taken to a standard arcade ski ball lane. The center ring, marked win, was surrounded by a $100 ring and a $50 outer area. $50 was the minimum a contestant could win for each ball earned. For a practice roll, contestant rolled each ball they had and won on the lane. If they rolled a win ring, they won the large prize associated with the ball. Otherwise, they won the amount of money associated with the cash ring. Once all the earned balls were rolled, the contestant attempted to win the Super Bowl by choosing between two prizes for one more small prize. If the contestant won the Super Bowl, they could roll it in the lane with a win earning them all three prizes, all three large prizes. If the contestant had already won all three prizes, though, a Super Bowl win would earn them a $3,000 cash bonus. If the Super Bowl landed near cash ring, it was worth triple the value, so making it $300 or $150, respectively. Super Bowl was one of, the only, was one of three pricing games, along with Hole-in-One or Two and On the Nose, in which a good task of physical skill is required to win. Other games, such as Race Game and Bonkers, give the contestant more chances to win if they perform better physically, but they can still be won without the physical skill. Uh, history. 3,000 hour cash bonus came into play only twice, September 23rd, 1992, 8503D, June 1st, 1995, 9614D was won once. 
on September 23rd, 1992, and the later playing on June 1st, 1995, contestant guessed a small price of the Super Bowl incorrectly and did not win the Super Bowl. In the beginning, only one small price was shown on the turntable at a time. On May 20th, 1987, the first three small prices appeared all at once on the table. On the episode that aired November 14th, 1991, a contestant named Mahani Khalid could not grasp the concept of skee-ball. Rather than rolling balls, he tried to throw them into the rings, causing them to bounce off and roll back down the lane. Bob joked and said that he would get hurt along the way she played. Bob indeed got hurt, and when she received later in the prop, stopped halfway down the lane, he hit his shit on the wire that was part of the prop. In the end, Mahani ended up with $250 in cash, but no prizes. The game normally takes five to six minutes, including announcers grabbing the prizes. But this particular playing took over eight minutes, making it the longest pricing game playings on the show's history, which may have led to the game's retirement after its fat last playing on January 12, 1998. Oh, I hit my shin on this one. I knew I'd get hurt. There's a wire across here. Oh, oh that hurt. Oh, you do it yourself. I don't care. Mohini was not the only contestant who had trouble with this game. May 20th, 1987, contestant named Yvonne Hughes had similar struggles with the game, and she was trying to throw the balls into the rings rather than roll them down the lane. She actually managed to get one of the balls caught up in the rings where it was completely out of reach. To Bob's dismay, ball number one was put in the machine and was treated as ball number two. As such, Bob was so frustrated by her playing, she forgot to ask Raw to describe the Super Bowl small prize. She ended up winning $200 in cash, with Bob saying, you need thousands for a psychiatrist after Yvonne's playing. <laughs> after uh, three contestants also managed to get one of the balls stuck behind the $50 circle. On one playing from the 80s, the contestant got ball stuck behind the $50 circle. Bob used his Plinko stick to get the ball out and kept rolling it for the better part of the game. Another from the December 5th, 1994. Had contestant Rebecca Menar get the Super Bowl stuck, leading Bob to vamp out what happened to see if he can manage to get the ball out, but he couldn't. Then the next idea was to get an extra ball from one of the stage managers. Doug Quick, Doug, thus gave an extra ball to Rebecca and managed to get into the wind circle, making a comeback on one last playing, November 17th, 1997. Second last playing, Rodrigo got ball number two stuck, which Bob declared to give him $54.78 for getting it stuck behind the $50 circle. Super Bowl set was not destroyed when it retired. In fact, the ski ball prop currently resides in Bob Bowden's garage. We we always bring up Bob Bowden on the show. Bob, hey, <laughs> uh, can I play Super Bowl sometime? <laughs> just Just saying. Um, but no, he really does have it. I, I saw it. I have played it. It's a lot of fun. The prize cue uh, strictly used for this game was the theme for the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour, which is often used to give away cars for other prizes. Prior to the usage of Match Game Hollywood Squares in the show, Sir Cross was primarily used as a prize cue. Dollar signs in the game's props were the same ones used in Showcase Showdown Wheel from 1988 to 2008. On an episode of Doug Davidson's The New Price is Right, the show accidentally went to commercial after contestant won the car with ball three, instead of allowing her to play for the Super Bowl. This proved to be a very expensive mistake. It was not known the show later allowed her a shot at the Super Bowl, or if it did, how she had done with it. If she went on, she would have won her showcase. Most number of times this game was played in any season was 19. Super Bowl was among the longest pricing games to play. Bob Barker determined, based on the in-studio audience reaction, that the time it took to play Super Bowl, it could be put to later use, and the game was retired. Despite its retirement in the United States, a French version has game translated to La Super Bowl. A diamond-shaped ski ball area was featured in the balls, uh, which ball lands to win the prizes are indicated by a star with two outliner diamonds for 500 francs and 100 francs. 
All right. Well, uh, I will say this right now. Uh, I love this game. I'm pissed it got retired. I think this show, this is the one of the few pricing games I vaguely remember and really want to see return. I think the issue is a course timing, but I think it's because of the need to redeem the ball. I think it's that Super Bowl. It's the either or AB games. You need to get four ABs and then four rolls of the die. I think what needs to be done is here's how you you quickly make the game better. Are you ready? Uh, you get okay. So it's the three balls and then the Super Bowl, right? So why not have it so you get three products or three products, and it's uh, and the idea is as you announce all three products instead of A, B, or C, you put these double-digit items in order from least to greatest. And it's just like you get the first one revealed and it's like $24. And it's like it's the next... And then it's... Okay, well, that one's the one. Now for two, is this higher than $24? It is. It's two. Because if the third ball is you got through all three from least to greatest, like easy as one, two, three, then you get all three balls. And hooray, you did it. If you fail the number two... Well, now we can figure out if the next one's higher. So there is some strategy uh, into getting ball number two, but not ball number three. So it's kind of like a growing uh, issue. So you get one match, you get two match, you get three match. Uh, Then in the end, after three rolls of the ball, because you already revealed all three prizes, which is least, middle, greatest, then you have the roll of balls. You make it five hundred bucks and one thousand dollars, and or or maybe two hundred dollars and five hundred dollars, and then have the win column. Then the Super Bowl is announced. The Super Bowl is simply put, uh, one final gamble. You don't do a prize; it's a gambling ball. If you want to risk your two prizes to win the Super Bowl, you can. Otherwise, keep the prizes and go. That way, if you win a car, you're good. If not, you can just take your stuff. It's fine. Uh, I think that's one way to make it faster. You have a decision element to the game. And if you win all three and you want to go for the Super Bowl, that is a $10,000 bonus, shall we say. We'll go ten grand, given today's financials. Uh, I think that that's the way you could do it. You can just have it so, like, step up. Think step up. You pick one prize. It's 20 bucks. That's one prize. Then you find the next prize that's more than 20 bucks, and you get two, ball two. And then it's like $30. So if this is more than 30 you get all three. If it's not, you don't. And then if it's one, it's 20 and then your second choice is less, like $14. Well, you can't get ball three, but if this is more than 14 bucks, you get number two. And like Rat Race, it is like two small prizes and one large prize, like a car. That's how you do Super Bowl, modern day. I think people are now well-versed in skee-ball that they can redo this. I mean, if beer if beer pong can become car pong on Let's Make a Deal, Super Bowl can most likely return. And that's why I love Super Bowl. I'm still upset it's gone. It's one of my favorite pricing games. I'm noticing a trend. I seem to like games that involve winning prizes of threes. Because Rat Race, Master Key, <laughs> and now it's Super Bowl. Uh, next time on the pricing game spotlight, we have a blank check just waiting for you. Slash check game.
So let's book in this episode. We started the episode off talking about Crystal Maze USA and its development of Adam Conover and eh, fine. And now let's end it with another uh, recurring talking point we do, which is the WGA, the Writers Guild of America. Uh, so they recently had an election. Out of 5,677 uh, votes, uh, 4,395 uh, people went with David A. Goodman to 1,292, which went to uh, Phyllis Nagy. Uh, so that means that David Goldman is going to continue being the WGA president alongside Executive Director David Young, Vice President Marjorie David, and new Secretary-Treasurer Michelle Mulroney, who has previously served as a Board and Negotiating Committee member. Uh, of the 9,988 WGA members who were eligible, 58% voted in this guild election. That's the largest turnout in guard's history, guild's history, and more than double the 2,475 votes received in last year's election. The campaign between Goldman, Nagy, and the respective election slates unfolded alongside increasingly litigious battles between the WGA and its entertainment industry's top four talent agencies, the CAA, WUTA, uh, Willie Morris, and ICM. After negotiations fell through between the Guild and the Associate of Talent Agents, the WGA members approved the enforcement of a code of conduct requiring agencies to give a packaging fees in order to represent writers. Uh, packaging fees, which are payments from a studio or agency in exchange for a package uh, agreement for talent for a project, have been called a conflict of interest by Goodman, whose leadership has now taken the big four agencies to court. The WGA filed slate uh, and state and federal lawsuits claiming the packaging fees are a violation of labor law and agencies' fiduciary duty to clients by serving as an illegal kickback payment from an employer to the studios to an agent that's supposed to represent the employee. In response, CAA, UTA, and WME filed their own lawsuits against WGA, claiming that WGA was participating in a legal boycott by having its members terminate their representation of any agency that refused to adhere to the code of conduct. WGA dropped its state lawsuit last month and uh, consolidated the claims into a suit to the federal litigation. The cold case creator, Meredith Steinem, who was one of the writers who attached her name to the Guild's lawsuit, was re-elected as a member of WGA's board of directors, receiving the most votes of any candidate with 4,115. Uh, so, staying up between two sides left thousands of writers working without agents. WGA encouraging members to use their managers, lawyers, relationships, new online database to find staffing. <gasps> yeah, that's great. You know what? You're right, folks. We should just do this. We should just hire based on like LinkedIn and Twitter. Hey, folks, I'm Jordan. I have a podcast about game shows. Please hire me. I'm sure someone is listening to this and definitely going to think about picking up the phone after what an episode right this has been. Uh, well, okay. Uh, this stands through a vocal opposition from the Guild. They rallied behind Phyllis and the writers for, uh, forward together slate. Nagy criticized Goodman's approach as harmful to writers, threatening a stalemate that could last months and leave lesser-known writers without representation. Really? Huh. How about that? If elected, Nagy promised to have the Guild return to the negotiating table and approach those endorsed with an open letter sent by Goodman in July that was signed by hundreds of Guild members. Among the writers were Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy, and Chernobyl writer Craig Mazin Jr. Oh, boy, who briefly campaigned as Nagy's running mate before withdrawing for family reasons. Yeah, you know what, folks? We should, we should, we should get into these packaging deals, right? Like, that's... No, no. No, we shouldn't. Uh... Goodman's supporters and vocal opponents of packaging fees rebuff Nagy's approach. Some, like Adams, ruins everything great. I haven't caught up. I didn't even read this part yet. What the fuck? 
Adam Ruins Everything creator Adam Conover said that Nagy has not provided specifics on how exactly they would achieve the WGA's demands to eliminate packaging fees and provide better compensation for lower tier writers, nor on what they would do differently at the negotiating table. We started with Adam. We're ending with Adam. What the fuck? (laughs) Although in this case, I do side with Adam on this. Uh, The Wire creator David Simon, who has been one of the most outspoken critics of packaging fees, know that top writers like Murphy have spoken against WJ's tactics, have profited from the current packaging fee system, which he says systematically advances showrunners and any listeners at the expense of younger, less established writers. Uh, I mean... Goodman's resigning victories. The election became a referendum on its leadership. WJ is still likely to continue its current strategy of seeking out legal victories against the top agencies. Uh, the Guild has come to terms with three agencies affiliated with the ATA, uh, Pantheon, Kaplan, Steyer, and Buckwald, making deals that will see these agencies drop packaging fees after a certain time. Oh, yeah, after a certain time limit. Oh, oh, oh boy, maybe it's at like one month. Uh, several non-other ATA agencies have also agreed to adhere to the Code of Conduct, including literary agency Verve. But uh, along with continuing the push against packaging fees, Goodman and WJ have another big challenge on the horizon. The Guild's master deal with studios expires on May 1st, 2020, meaning that it may have to fight negotiating battles with two fronts as it prepares to enter talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers next spring. In this campaign statement, Goodman says he's confident about the position the Guild was in heading to the AMP. AMPTP negotiations, considering that a writer strike would severely hinder production of shows being developed by AMPTP companies for new streaming services like Disney Plus and Warner Media's HBO Max. And don't forget Peacock, folks. Don't forget Peacock. Peacock is coming down the pipeline. And what about Quibi? Remember Quibi? We talked about Quibi this episode. He also rebuffed claims that Nagy and the Guild needed the agencies to help with the talks. I've been involved in four WGA. MBA negotiations and all of them agencies offered no help and in fact abandoned us and worked against our goals by describing our clients as intractable and unrealistic he said AMPTP companies understand that they push us to a strike the threat that Netflix or other companies would make an interim deal and keep producing new product is very real the billions that AMPTP companies have invested in their new streaming services would be at risk that would mean that the AMPTP is going to roll over uh, but they have too much at stake to just push us around and think we're tired. On top of that, we have shown that we are willing to take an issue that everyone in the business except the agencies hates, but was unwilling to do about it. So, <sighs> I got it's really tough to explain this. All right, so that's the entire uh, article pretty much from The Wrap uh, about this, uh, the challenging in the leadership election uh, there's a lot of names on there. Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy, uh, Greg Berlanti, Greg Berlanti of, of all of those CWDC shows and Titans. <laughs> I forget Titans. Uh, you also had, uh, what, what else? You got uh, Dan Fogelman, the producer of, of Cars. Uh, oh, oh, don't, don't forget people like John Glatzer. Huh? The Glatzers? Andrew Gottlieb. Uh, oh, oh, wait. What about uh, you? Probably heard of Ryan Johnson, right? Ryan Johnson of the Star War. He's in this list too. Uh, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf of the Even Stevens and nothing else. He's in this. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Let's keep going here. Let's keep going through the list. See what else we can uh, uh, bring up here. Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy's on this list. Hilarious. 
Uh, Chris Miller is on this list. That's okay. That's a shocker. Lots of lots of talented people in this list. I'm, and they all seem like they're like just talking about how excited they are about scab work, which mean like, hey, if you want to go into scab work, I mean, there is non-union jobs already here in the industry. Lots of short films, lots of internet series. And the, the reading about May 2020 tells me that this is why a lot of game shows are being produced right now, because that is clearly going to tell me there's going to be a strike and a lot of shows are going to be on hiatus or they're not going to be like like filming anytime soon so they're trying to do their backup plan right now so whether that means a fourth season of mask singer supermarket sweep all your game shows returning it's going to be at the backs of the wga and that is really awful because as i've said time and time again game shows are great when they're paired with a scripted show because uh, something like Singled Out always aired right before leading into uh, like an MTV show like Beavis and Budhead or Undressed or uh, some order like a fashion news thing like House of Style. It was a transitionary show that it never works as just the prime time format. You just kind of just put it on the sidelines. A lot of people treat game shows as if it's secondary shows. If it's on in the background, sure, I'll watch it. And I mean, I understand that concept, but I think there's more to it. And it's much smarter than a lot of people bleed on. That for a WGA, like, possible, uh, you know, walkout in protest means a lot of shows are going to be, you know, either grabbing scab jobs or they are going to just end up just protesting and on strike and that means we're going to see a lot of rushed game shows when there's rushed game shows that means that you're going to see a lot of bad shows on television that when the shows get back to writing they're all going to get canceled and always in a rubber band effect means a lot of these shows are going to get canceled twice or three times as much which means the game show world is going to crash and burn yet again so I watch this like a hawk because I'm very nervous. You want to see writers get jobs, make great shows, and pair it up with something that's lighthearted and fun. When things like this happen, I'm a little uneasy. Not because I'm a WGA member, because I'm not. It's because I know this could only lead to disaster in the world of game shows. And that means you're going to see like a ripoff mask Singer. Or you're going to be seeing like Supermarket Sweep revival and then everyone's going to scramble for like Fremontal to make the revival of like Sale of the Century or Classic Concentration or something else. And I'm just going to just be like groaning and moaning because I know it's going to be rushed. The budget's not going to be there. It's going to be at the absolute cheapest and it's not going to be uh, interesting to watch. But the game show fandom is just going to say like, I'm glad it's back. You're a... Uh, this is, this is a danger. This is a very dangerous territory. And I think that I think this is very, very dangerous. I love movies. I love television shows and I love, uh, watching a lot of sitcoms and watching a lot of dramas. I think the talent is in these writers. There's a lot of talented writers out there and, Game shows are kind of just kind of the redhead stepchild of this industry. And 
you need to elevate both. The way to elevate them both is to get rid of packaging deals because that's not only a thing going on in scripted shows, it's in unscripted shows. We've brought this up multiple times. Why else do you think Elizabeth Banks is hosting Press Your Luck? How else do you think uh, a show like Don't with Ryan Reynolds executive producing made it to air or even Spin the Wheel with Justin Timberlake and Dax Shepard? It's all about the the packaging it's all about the production and the ep and name only making the money and then the host making the most money but doing some of the work by means of auto queue hosting it's okay because some of these people do have personalities but this is the new wave of uh game shows and this is how the hollywood media industry is working in today's society and it sucks so much because that just tells me the people in the back room who are the writers the pas who have to get up very early just to uh make sure everyone follows the rules and make sure the contestants are met and then clean up the floor they have to make sure that this show is at least somewhat nice because they want the nice credit so they can hustle their way to the next bazillion dollar game show idea. And there's not that much of a step up these days. And that's also a big problem. We are seeing this happen time and time again in this industry. And every single time there's a little pushback, you're seeing articles about like, well, that's not fair. And yeah, it's not fair, but look where we're at right now. We're in Silicon Valley trying to nickel and dime every Hollywood thing. We're seeing streaming media people uh, try and sell 8 to 9 to 10 to 11 to 12 to $15 a month subscription services, making it no different than cable television that now you're paying 300 bucks for all this, all these uh, streaming services. That this is kind of becoming a very dangerous world of media. And what I learned time and time again is if people don't buy the streaming services, a lot of shows get canceled and a lot of people lose their jobs. If not a lot of people are buying cable television, they're not going to be paying for the cable shows, which means doesn't matter if it's a drama, doesn't matter if it's a comedy, doesn't matter if it's a game show, that's also going away. Then all that's left is network television, and that's going the way of the dodo because a lot of people are going online. They're not looking at their local news. So that means your ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, all of those shows, rather it's a hilarious laugh-out-loud sitcom or a, a crime drama or a new reality show, they will go under as well. So this is a toppling effect, and this is very dangerous, and... All I can say is I got to stand with the WGA. You got to stand with the union, even if you do not like unions, even if you work on non-union shows. This is one of those things where you have to fight with the WGA and make sure that they get their demands met and make sure we get rid of packaging. Because otherwise, we're going to continue seeing weird, ridiculous streaming services and impossible ways for you, the consumer of these shows, to find a way to afford the services so you can continue watching these programs. Because to all these people, you're just a number, and it's how to squeeze every last penny out of you. And to me, that's not fair. Oh, geez, I mean, voice is, like, dying out. I got to get some water real quick. Hang on, here we go. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for us this week here on Game Shows, I suppose. Uh, you can watch more episodes. Watch, listen, listen to more episodes of Game Shows, I suppose, over at jordanhaas.com slash podcast. We are available on Google Play and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Feel free to 
Give us that good rating and leave a comment. Let me know what game shows you want to see talked about in future installments. You can follow me on Twitter at Jordha, J-O-R-D-H-A. And then join me next week as we talk about another great game show, I suppose. Um, But before we end this, I think we need to end it just like the modern singled out. We need to do it with a freestyle rap. (coughs) Here we go. Game shows, I suppose, hosted by me with my special guest, Leslie Lita 3, making us want our MTV, but when it comes to the reboot, that shit's not for me. I understand the need for social media buzz, but like most of these singles, it comes out a dud. So it's time to rap, it's time to rhyme, but that's all the time we have here, so see you next time for another great game show, I suppose. Good night. And big smooch. Promotional consideration provided by Kennington, Earth Angels, Joe Boxer, Jonel Nail Care, Fossil Watches, available at better department stores everywhere, Airwalk Footwear, Keyboard Instruments provided by Kurzweil Music System. Be here for another new episode of Singled Out tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, your guide and support unit for the love life you were always meant to have. Time to throw your hands in the air and shake your head like you've got big hair, like Beavis. Beavis and Butthead's up next, so stay tuned. <laughs>